Hello and welcome. So happy you could join us again at the Dr. Christian Hein podcast, where we're living for mental health, love and compassion. This week, we're looking at a very happy subject. Today's podcast is part one of a live talk that Christian gave on happiness, entitled, What Really Makes Us Happy? Christian takes us on some really fun rides in this talk. He plays a piano in one part. Did you know that there were happy notes and sad notes? Christian then busts some myths about happiness. Okay, so we're going to drop in on this talk right so, now. Happiness. All right, let's get started. Let's talk about happiness. Happiness. Happiness is one of those buzzwords in society. Happiness, sex, fun, love, pleasure, money. If we can get more of these into our lives, we feel that life is better. Great. But how does that actually happen? Why is it that over the centuries we have not found the secret to happiness yet? The science of happiness is a bit fuzzy, you see, because happiness is one of those unscientific concepts. It's like pain, love, and beauty. You cannot measure it directly. You can't grab hold of it. You can't look at somebody and say, yes, their happiness level is 57 today. <laughs> what we do is we ask people, are you happy? And we have to rely on their answers. So any science that I quote today is flawed with that particular question. Because after all, we human beings, we can lie. We don't always tell the truth. In fact, there are some people who complain, I don't like negative people. Why do people need to be so negative around me? You know, those negative people may just be being more honest than some of the positive people that you have around you. There's just a possibility that positive people filter all the negative stuff that's going on through their head and just present all the positive. How are you? Fine, thanks. Great, good. And I, as a psychiatrist, see that that is not always true. So sometimes those negative people are actually letting you in closer. They're letting you into what's really going on. Now, happiness is hard to define. It has a feeling component to it. Are you feeling happy today? But it also has a thinking or an evaluating component to it. Are you happy with your life? Now, we all kind of know what we mean by that, but to pin it down scientifically is actually hard to do. Happiness can often depend on circumstance. Uh, if you're in pain, your happiness levels may just drop a little bit. If you've got an illness, the same. If you're lonely, the same. If you've had a lousy day at the office. If you don't have work or if your country is at war, that all affects our individual happiness. Uh, another interesting thing about happiness is that you can actually be happy and sad at the same time. Or you can actually be a person who has a large capacity for happiness, but also a large capacity for melancholia. So it's a bit hard to pin down what happiness is and who actually is happy. But that's some of the things that we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at some of the things that actually can contribute to your happiness. How are we going to do that? All right. 
So we are going to look first at a musical representation of happiness so that I, just only talk, I don't just talk about it, but you can actually experience it. Then I will go on to ask a few questions about does this contribute to happiness. Then I will go on and talk about some of the wisdom that thinkers from my tribe, psychiatrists, have added to this field of happiness. And then I will actually give you tips as to what you can do right now, today, to increase the happiness levels in your life, because it can be done. Uh, on to the music. Musicians hate this because this is really basic, that we have scales or sets of notes that sound happy or sound sad. It's basic to musicians, but the thing is over 95% of our music actually works on this principle, that you choose a set of notes that are basically happy or you choose a set of notes that are basically sad or reflective or melancholic. So in the hands of a master like Johann Sebastian Bach, a happy piece chooses the happy notes. And so on, and so that has a cheerful quality about it. Yet when he chooses the sad bunch of notes, you come up with a piece that has a more reflective quality about it. so on. And Bach wrote a set of 48 preludes and fugues in each key and he went through the happy and the sad of each key and had a myriad of emotions based on that general schema of happy bunch of notes and reflective or sad bunch of notes. In a master like Ludwig van Beethoven, this is what happens. Now, you may recall that last lecture, I let you know that Beethoven had a time of his life where things got so bad for him that he wanted to end it all. This was around the age of 31 for him. He was going deaf and he wanted to write music, but he couldn't hear anything. So he thought he was in for a life of misery. Just after he comes out of that period, he writes a piece of music that is one of his most famous pieces of music. It's called the Appassionata Sonata. Now, what that means is the really emotional one, the one that's dramatic, turbulent, and passionate. Okay? It's a piece of music that goes for almost half an hour, and it starts out like this, reflective, melancholic. Sort of like, gosh, what sort of a journey are you taking us on? This is just awful. Then he has, just a few minutes later, this outburst. 
goes on with this outburst of music, an outburst of a negative emotion. Could we call that anger, an outburst of negative emotion? Could it be that Beethoven, around this time, was feeling such a negative emotion that it caused him to think of doing away with himself? He is taking us on that journey. Obviously, I've got no evidence to say that, but that's what I believe. And if I were to perform that piece, that's what would be going through my mind. Later on in this piece, about 15 minutes later, he says, it's time for the main theme to come back. So he brings back the main theme. He says, it's time to bring back that outburst as well. But this is how he brings back the outburst. It becomes an outburst of positive emotion. It's that feeling that you get when you win the Super Bowl. It's that feeling when you get when you finish your university degree. It's that feeling that you get when you win the war. It's that feeling that you may get if you find something to live for when you thought of doing yourself away. Again, I've got no evidence for that, but is there evidence that around this time, Beethoven found something to live for? Yes, he did. Around the time that he was thinking of doing away from himself, a woman who he had been in love with for a long time, who married somebody else, all of a sudden found herself a widow. And Beethoven goes, oh, there's a chance. There's a chance. Start with the love letters. And so we have all these love letters that Beethoven wrote to a Countess Josefina von Brunswick because he was wooing her in the hope that he could marry her. Now, of course, Beethoven's Life got more complex than that, and we just have to leave that part of the story. But here's the point. He found something to live for. He found something that was worthwhile. He found something of meaning that would make him happy. And I believe he put it in his music. All right, so we're talking about happiness, and you have a psychiatrist talking about happiness. If you had a CEO talking about happiness, they may say, Happiness has to do with success. If you had an indigenous person talking about happiness, they would say, happiness has something to do with an affinity with the land. If you had a farmer talking to you about happiness, it's kind of a mixture of both. It's feeling the land, but feeling what it can produce for you. A journalist may tell you that happiness has to do with being out there in the thick of it, getting the story when it happens and being able to tell you the truth. Yes. And a philosopher may tell you happiness. Well, we find happiness really hard to define. Uh, Aristotle sort of said, Plato said, Nietzsche said, and you won't get an answer, all right? As a psychiatrist, I have heard the life story of thousands and thousands of people. It's amazing how what they want out of life boils down to only several things. I was talking to, I'll call him John, 25, trying to get over amphetamine addiction. And I say, John, what do you want out of life? He said, all that I really want out of life 
to find somebody to love me, to have a decent job, to get some self-respect, and to be a good dad one day. I was talking to, I'll call her Kylie. She was 27 and she had lived the high life, um, sleeping with a lot of producers, being the catalyst to a few uh, divorces, being on yachts, being taken overseas, and she came and told me that her life was a train wreck. Could we please do something about it? So I asked her, Kylie, what do you want out of life? Not too much, really. Uh, what I want is a bit of self-respect. I want somebody who will actually love me. I would like to have a job, and I'd like to be a good mum. Amazing. I, I should have introduced Kylie to John and perhaps... You know, <laughs> That's not a good idea, by the way. I don't do things like that. But it's amazingly consistent what people want out of life. And it basically comes down to these four things. Some self-respect, somebody to love, a purpose in life, and to be a good parent, if that's a path that somebody wants in their life. So you will find that today, a lot of what I say is flavoured by the thousands of stories that I have heard and what people actually want out of life. All right, so let's have a look at a few things. Does money lead to happiness? Well, well, okay, we'll get there, okay? Um, Maynard Keynes, uh, the economist from about 100 years ago, said, this century we are going to prosper. We are going to fulfill our needs. And how right he was. He had no idea just how right he would be just how many of our wants we could fulfill, just how successful we would be in this area. And so many needs have been fulfilled. However, he also said that the economy is driven by limited resources trying to fill unlimited needs and wants. And we do have unlimited needs and wants. So here's the relationship between money and happiness. Up until a certain point, yes, more money, can make you feel happy. Because as the four philosophers from Liverpool let us know, money can't buy you love, all right? But it doesn't buy you poverty either. So the thing is that until you get to the point where your household has enough food on the table, there is security there, and you have enough money to have one good, decent family holiday per year, up until that level, more money will make you happy. But then it stops, right? And all of us here in this room are actually well beyond that. So why do we keep doing it? Why do we keep earning more and more money when it doesn't add to our happiness? We're strange creatures. We like to compare the way that we're doing with others. And the thing about money is that you can put a figure on it, a number, and you can compare. How well are we doing compared to everybody else? And here's the thing about comparisons and money. If you earn $50,000 in a town where the average wage is $30,000, you feel damn good. You feel like you're doing really well. But if you're earning $80,000 in a town where the average is $110,000, you're not feeling too good about yourself. So here's one of the take-home messages about happiness. If you compare yourself with others, you can become vain and bitter, or you can become humble and thankful. It's a choice you have to make. If you make the choice, make the choice for gratitude, 
your happiness levels go up. And we have the studies to do that. And I'll come back to gratitude at the end here. The other interesting correlation between money and happiness is after you get to that stage where you get to have a decent holiday every year, we have studies to show that any more money that you are given, you get more happiness out of that by giving it away than keeping it for yourself. We have studies where people said, here's $100, here's $100, here's $100. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, you get a choice. You can keep it or you can give it away to somebody that you think needs it. And the people who gave it away reported greater happiness levels. Why is it that so many people who become very wealthy go into charity, putting together foundations, trying to do what they can to make this world a better place? It is not just altruism. That actually adds to their sense of happiness. So that's the complex relationship between money and happiness. All right, so is happiness pleasure? If pleasure were happiness, then people who, who were drug addicted would be the happiest people in this world. Because I guarantee you nobody experiences more pleasure than somebody who is in, addicted to amphetamines. The pleasure release in the body is immense. It is so great that people will give up life for it. But they are miserable and they come to people like me to say, what can I do to get away from this because this is ruining my life? Uh, what about sex? Sex gives me a lot of pleasure so that the more sex that I have uh, must make me happier. We have studies to show that the optimum number of sexual partners for you to have to increase your happiness is one. The closer your number of sexual partners in your life is to that number one, the happier you are. Now, sex and the novelty of sex gives us pleasure, but we're looking for happiness, which has more to do with long-term contentment than it does have to do with fleeting pleasures. The other thing is fame. If I'm more famous, surely that makes me happier. Again, we have studies to show that the more famous you are, the more complex your life becomes, the more of a chance there is that you will find yourself unhappy rather than happy. And that includes trying to get fame through Facebook. I have people who have come to me and said, I'm depressed. And I have said, why are you depressed? And this is a 24-year-old girl, uh, woman, and she says to me, I'm depressed because this is the first time my friend count has gone below 600. <laughs> 600? Oh my gosh. Bruce Willis was once asked, when were you the happiest in your life? He said, I will tell you when I was the happiest in my life. I was happiest in my life when I was together with Demi Moore. No, not only that, we were the happiest before we became famous. While we were struggling, when we both got success, that's when it all went wrong. Now, that's very strange. So, happiness is not pleasure. It's not sex and drugs and fame. 
So we've looked at what doesn't make us happy. Join us next time for part two to find out what really does make us happy.